Well, good day, friends. Welcome to Friday, January the 6th, and today's episode of Enough for Today. Thanks for joining me. We're in Psalm 69, and today we're going to pick up, oh, in about verse 7. So David is, this is a long psalm. It's what's called an imprecatory psalm. It's David praying for vengeance, for God to release vengeance, to deal with his enemies. We'll come to that part. But in the beginning, David is just pouring himself out to God. And again, and we've seen this so many times in the Psalms, David is raw and honest and open before God. God really is his refuge. He runs to God. And in private, he walks with God. And this is why the Psalms are so valuable. The narrative portions of Scripture give us the outside looking in. We get to see the outside events of the story. The Psalms give us the inside looking out experience, lest we sensationalize or lest we normalize what is episodic or periodic in the Christian journey, really the, the, the larger, greater part of our Christian journey with Jesus from the inside out is us simply being faithful to him in the humdrum, in the day-to-day, in the day in and day out. It's not all high moments. It's certainly, thank the Lord, not all low moments, but a lot of it is just faithfulness, just endurance, just consistently running our race But from the inside out, we see the experience. And what the Psalms do, do, I should say, is they give us a framework of what it means to relate to God, what it means to experience God. It's really not sensational. It is at times experiential. It's, if we let it be, it's always emotional, but it's not mystical. It's not something that is simply um, supernatural experientially in some some uh, ecstatic kind of way. David here is just pouring out his heart to God and crying out, save me. The waters are coming to my soul. I feel like I'm drowning. I'm in deep waters. It's over my head. I've cried myself out. I'm weary of crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. There it is, waiting for God. We talked about that. And then yesterday we talked about these three verses. They hate me without cause. They that hate me are more than the hairs of my head. They would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. It's unjust. They're mighty. Um, and, and I even tried to restore that which I didn't take away. I've tried to make amends. I've tried to make peace. But these are not people that want peace. Verse 5, thou knowest my foolishness. My sins are not hid from thee. So David recognizes, maybe I do. I don't think I deserve this, but maybe I do. Is kind of the sense of that. Um, but, but God, I'm coming before you as I am. You know where I've made mistakes, you know where I've failed, you know where I've sinned. But then verse six, let not them that wait on thee, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. God, I'm a leader. This is the sense of this, is that David is in a position of leadership and he's going through hardship and he doesn't want his hardship um, to become a source of discouragement to those under his influence that are faithfully walking with and devoted to and worshiping the Lord. The idea of waiting on the Lord. So, God, I don't want those, verse 6, that are waiting on you, that are are walking with you, to be ashamed on my account or because of what I'm dealing with. I don't want to bring my sorrow to them. I don't want my name uh, to discourage them. I don't want my existence or my influence to be a source of problem for them. Uh, Let not those that seek thee be confounded. For my sake, O God of Israel. So 
a lot of times the poetry, Hebrew poetry, is a kind of a parallelism as the name is the word, but it repeats itself or it shows a contrast. It's either contrast or um, a repetition of a previous thought. That's what we see here. So he basically says the same thing twice. Let not those that seek thee, those that are, that are, that are true to thee, worshiping in purity, be confounded or confused or disoriented because of me, O God of Israel. You see, David is a faithful man, experienced unjust circumstances, and he's concerned that those that follow God with him will look at his circumstances and be perplexed or confused or confounded. And so David is, it's really a selfless prayer when you think about it, and that's remarkable. David's saying, I don't just want to be delivered for my sake. I don't want just my comfort. God, I'm, I'm concerned about the impact of these circumstances that I'm experiencing on those that are looking to me for leadership. So it's a selfless prayer. <clears throat> because, look at verse 7, and here's where we pick up today. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. So David is uh, describing here that it is for the sake of God that this reproach has come upon him. He's going to expand on this, but he's, he's basically saying, I'm bearing this for your sake because of you. Not just that God's allowed it, but that David has uh, taken some stand or expressed some devotion or uh, determined some direction for the nation that has brought reproach upon him. And shame, shame has covered his face. It's an expression of being discouraged or downcast. His countenance has fallen. Verse 8, I am become a stranger under my brethren and an alien under my mother's children. So he's lost relationships over the situation that he's recounting. It's cost him um, close friendships and close familial bonds and relationships that have now turned away from him. He's been rejected by others for his stand or his following or his passion for God. Verse 9, for the zeal, here it is, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. So here it is. David was consumed by the zeal of what he cried, describes, the zeal of thine house. This is a, a, a phrase that was actually attributed to Jesus in John chapter 2 when he cleansed the temple. The disciples remembered not, not that this is prophetic, but in the sense that this statement uh, can be applied to the behavior and the consuming zeal that Jesus had for the purity of God's house. David had a passion. The Bible describes him, God describes him as a man after God's own heart. So he's a man who's driven at his core with a deep passion to worship God purity in, uh, purely in sincerity and in truth and to lead his nation in the same and the zeal of thine house, his dream was to build a house. We know he didn't get to build it. Solomon did, but David prepared for it. He established the nation. He brought the capital to Jerusalem. He uh, reclaimed the Ark of the Covenant. He purchased the land uh, where the temple would be built. He, he led the nation to follow God, to restore uh, the worship of God and, and, and to their hearts for God. But there were people in this nation that were not happy about that. There were people that wanted their own way, that wanted uh, to make gain of God's name or to, to lead the nation astray into paganism or into idolatry. So there was always this, uh, this pull, this war, this tug of war going on. And in this moment, 
David feels like he's losing the battle. He's been eaten up by his passion to worship God, to seek first his kingdom. And the reproaches of those that reproach God have now been directed to David. So it's in big picture, David took the right stand, decided to go the right direction, decided to be the right kind of influence. And as a result of it, it cost him some relationships. He lost some friendships. He lost some family. He is in this deep, dark place being overwhelmed, and he's concerned about those that he leads that do have a sincere heart for God. He doesn't want this to devour him, this experience to devour him so that he can't be the leader that uh, God's called him to be. And he's crying out to God for assistance in this moment. What a profound, uh, what what an intimate look into the heart of a man who's purely human, but, but definitely passionate for God. So many life lessons, so many big picture takeaways. I don't really have time to even go into all of them. I've already taken too much time, but a lot to meditate on. Do I love God in a way that's gonna cost me? Do I love God in a way that others just will scorn me because he is my first priority, his kingdom, his church, his cause? You know, in the new year, this is the way I really wanna live. I wanna be eaten up with a passion for God. I don't want it to offend others. I don't want it to hurt others. But if it does, that let that be their decision, not mine. And in the end, I want to be a faithful influence on those that have true and pure hearts for God. I hope that's your heart uh, with me. And I hope that we'll join in that together as a church family. So happy Friday, my friends. Sunday is, is Vision Sunday. So I'm looking forward to a great day. We have amazing packet of materials to put into your hands. So join us at 9 or 1030. Don't forget tomorrow is Charlene Wright's homegoing service at 11 a.m. You pray for the Wright family that would be a comfort to them. Have a good day. We'll see you Sunday or uh, again on Monday.